Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank my listeners from around the world who come back again and again and again to listen to the words of wisdom from our authors. And today, joining me from Los Angeles <clears throat> is a friend that I've known for a while and someone that I just ran into at the Illuminate Film Festival who's written a wonderful new book called The Book of Doing and Being. And we have Barnett Bain on the line with us. Barnett, how are you doing? It's really a pleasure to be on the uh, line with you, Greg. How are you? Great. And it's a pleasure having you on and obviously to talk about a delicate balance um, that we all run the fine line of. And that's from our spiritual side, where we tap into this creativity many times, to also that other side, <clears throat> which is always required to create the manifestation of what we do. And I'm going to let my listeners know a little bit about you, Barnett. Barnett is an award-winning filmmaker, radio broadcaster. Um, he has a show called The Cutting Edge Consciousness Radio on KVTAAM Talk in Southern California. Uh, his film credits include Oscar award-winning movie When Dreams May Come, was the producer, Emmy award-winning nominee of Outstanding TV Movie, Homeless to Harvard, and the Celestine Prophecy writer-producer. Uh, for those of you who want to learn more about Barnett, you can reach him, obviously, on Facebook by just typing in Barnett Bain, B-A-R-N-E-T-B-A-I-N, or www.barnettbain.com. And you'll learn more about that. And the full title of the book, which we'll put a link to in the blog, is The Book of Doing and Being, Rediscovering Creativity in Life, Love, and Work. Well, Barnett, you start off the introduction of your book talking about how you were raised in a pretty traditional family. Um, you were in Quebec, Canada. Uh, your father was a butcher. Your mother was a housewife. Um, and you mentioned that nothing about the way that you were raised had any rapport with the freewheeling idea of being a freelancer, somebody like yourself who's been that way. You mentioned that you stepped beyond your bounds of structured imagining. Um, what in your estimation is structured imagining and how can people break free as you did? Well, now you went right to the crux of it, didn't you, Greg? So, so um, we're all products of our families and our friends and our schools, our religions, our entertainment streams, our politics. We're shaped by other people's movies and songs and news and stories and behaviors and values, etc., all the expressions of the tragedies and the triumphs that dictate and shape the reach of our imaginations. But we're mostly unaware of the extent to which we've acquired uh, a hand-me-down worldview. Um, I call this a structured imagination. And that structure, by the way, is actually expressed as a neural map in the brain. So... Um, how the second part of your question is well how, well, how do, do we, we yeah how do people who are listening today break free of this conditioning this structure so that they can well, first, become more creative first of all um 
it begins with an understanding that this is the situation because uh, we have certain beliefs and thoughts and choices and attitudes and decisions and feelings uh, that are largely passed down to us. We we uh, take them on. We just take them on as our own. If we look really closely at it, um, we'll realize, yes, I, I did take these on my own. Had I been born in Shanghai on the other side of the world, um, I would have taken an entirely different uh, structured imagination. My sense of what is possible, what is plausible, what is viable, of who I am and what matters to me would be very different. So I am a product of my circumstance. Mm -hmm. And uh, to be creative, in my estimation, we are, there's two kinds of creativity. There's creativity inside of our structured imagination, which is very, very creative and uh, is largely a case of moving around the elements that are already exist inside that structure, uh, moving them around and, and putting them together in new and improved in uh, different ways. And then there is also uh, a different kind, uh, different octave of imagination that occurs when we expand, when we push back the boundaries, when we push back the horizon of our structured imagination, when we recognize it and acknowledge it, and we begin to make decisions for ourselves outside of that. So these pre-existing, um, this structured imagination, it shows up, as I said, as pre-existing neural patterns. These are mm -hmm. maps in the brain of how our axons and dendrites wear and fire together. The brain always tracks back to what it knows, always. And it looks for evidence constantly. It's scanning for evidence to support what it knows. But real creativity is not fooled by the circumstances that we find ourselves in. It, it, it has the ability to focus on what it can learn, not what it can reaffirm. So it sees through the circumstances, and it's able to hold a vision of something that is not mirrored back in the immediate circumstances. That begins to wire and fire entirely different uh, neural maps in the brain. Mm -hmm. And with practice, as we do anything, whether it's learning to fly a plane or, or learning to um, play an instrument, there is some practice, there is some devoted, there's a sense of, create, uh, of ritual that is designed in order to repeat, repeat, repeat the behaviors so that we are beginning to draw brand new neural maps, and that practice suddenly becomes habit, and all of a sudden, lo and behold, we uh, have new capacities, and we are wired for to, to, to uh, meet life in a different way, and to see in life's possibilities and probabilities entirely different, entirely new options that literally were not available to the brain chemistry previously. Mm -hmm. So there are many ways to do that, many ways. And in the book, uh, I speak a lot about these kinds of things, and I offer uh, over 40 different techniques to begin to develop a, both an intimacy with how we are structured and techniques for pushing back, raising the roof on that cube of imagination and pushing out the walls and pushing back the back wall and just making it larger, making it larger, making it larger uh, with techniques that done with some uh, repetition 
begin to develop a whole new habit of creativity. As, uh, as was said in that wonderful movie, uh, Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. And if you build uh, neural structures um, then for, that are more expansive than the way we have been structured, then um, our brain suddenly kicks into another gear and begins to look for ways to express. It's that, and now it begins to scan for that, not for the past, for that. <clears throat> well, these neural pathways are an interesting thing, Barnett. I happen to be at a conference at, called Pandos Populus up in uh, Pomona Men's College, Claremont Colleges, just a few weekends ago. Um, and a gentleman spoke by the name of John Bielenberg, and John was um, is up in the Silicon Valley, but talking about how these neural pathways um, to ingenuity and creativity um, actually have some kind of timeline. So in other words, look, I'm 60 years old. I know that people 26 years old, and this is kind of to be a ripe age, is there any proof to the fact, in your estimation, that neural pathways get hardwired and are so much more difficult to unwire the older we get? Well, there is a lot of science to support that. Um, uh, there is no science um, to the contrary. So there's lots of science to support that. <clears throat> but I hold that as good news. Um, yeah, tell the, all, tell all my 60-year-old listeners that it's good news. <laughs> uh, well, um, let me put it this way. Like any habit, like any habit whatsoever, or, or let me put it in even a larger frame. Uh, not too many years back, it was, um, it was commonly understood, it was commonly accepted that the, your brain... Uh, these were the cards that were dealt you at the cradle, and these were the cards you cashed in at, at the graveside. Mm -hmm. And that, that um, the blueprinting of your neuronal structure was laid in stone so that you couldn't change. You just had to make the best of what you have. Mm -hmm. Now, I can tell you that at the beginning, for most of my early part of my life, or maybe the first third of my life, uh, I did. I had... Um, no aspirations in the creative uh, area, and I thought, as many do, that I had no creative abilities and that I had no creative talent. And certainly, um, uh, I did everything, and I got uh, only feedback to support that. Mm -hmm. uh, began to uh, work on myself in different ways, and um, I very clearly have uh, rewired myself. In, so that I have an entirely different rapport and a different understanding with what is creative and what is creativity. <clears throat> so, so there is. My, I mean, the key is old, there's uh, there's possibilities. If you can give up smoking, yeah. If you can give up, you know, if people can give up smoking. That is a creative act. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, the other thing that is important to remember here is what we define. How, what do we consider creative? So um, the conventional wisdom is that creativity is limited to the arts, particularly the fine arts, and that there are limited outlets for creative expression. And that is not my point of view. My point of view, my personal point of view, is that everything is a creative act. Right. Every single thing, every thought, and every choice, and every decision, every belief is a creative act. It is with, it is responsive to our own personal volition, uh, and therefore. 
um, when we have choice, when we have choice in the matter, and we have choice in all matters, that involves a creative function. And as we can become more and more intimate with the elements and the mechanics of creativity, um, that redounds to our ability to better meet the challenges of life and to meet the challenges of life in new ways, uh, not simply tracking back to the past. In new ways, it allows us to seize new opportunities and to respond um, uh, and to cut new maps, absolutely new maps to the future. Yeah, and so, you know, sixty of, years old, fine, go for it. Go for anything, and I agree with you. I think that um, there is definitely unlimited. Uh, opportunities and possibilities for anybody to any age, and it's been proven throughout history and time. Now, you have a hand-painted card by writer Jay Stone that hangs over your desk, and it says, the most visible creators I know are those artists who medium whose medium is life itself. They neither paint nor sculpt. Their medium is being. Whatever their presence touches has increased life. What is it that you believe that Jay Stone is trying to say here? And why is that so important to you that you'd hang that card over your desk to look at every day? Well, first of all, I'm looking at it right now as you speak. And uh, it is important to me because uh, part of the structuring, the imaginative structuring that goes on, uh, just to, to um, repeat that in a slightly, slightly different way, um, the structuring they're referring to these these our life is shaped by our values and our thinking and our feelings and as I said they create these behavioral roadmaps in our brains and in our nervous systems and um, part of the roadmap part of the uh, of that roadmap um, holds that the creative expression is limited to uh, only a very very few specific outlets. It also holds that creative expression um, is limited in its ability to um, provide li a lifestyle um, that um, real creativity should in some way uh, be transactional. You should be able to, um, uh, it, it, it's not valid unless you can make a living at it. So we have all kinds of all kinds of uh, parameters that we put around a creative act. And as I said, in my view, and what the writer Jay Stone is clearly saying here, is that everything that uh, a real creator touches, they are expressing the inexpressible without a brush, without a hammer, without a guitar. They don't have to paint. They don't have to sculpt. Their medium is being. Mm -hmm. They see and they don't have to draw. They are the artist of being alive. And it, uh, those words uh, resonate very strongly with me. I am interested personally in being an artist of being alive, and I am interested in this book of empowering people, yes, to be better equipped to um, paint the painting or build the business or creatively manage the relationship. All those things are true. Yeah. And and at the 50,000-foot level, I also want to support people to become artists of being alive. Well, and that <clears throat> that brings me to this next question, which is very poignant. You, you mentioned that energy. So we're, all we are is energy, and it's how we manage it. But the energy is more powerful 
than the things being created, no matter what the artifact might be. How do you keep your particular frequency and vibration at a high level to have this connection with spirit, spirit to be able to stay in this creative flow or this creative state? What are some of the things? Because you have lots of exercises in the books, things for people to write, ask them questions that basically put them into levels of contemplation to think about things that they're doing. What is it that you would recommend to kind of stay in this high level of energy that brings the most creativity? Well, first of all, the question is is, um, really what kind of creativity do we want to do? Um, Creating a life uh, where everything goes wrong, where um, I miss the bus, I miss the traffic lights, I miss the job opportunities, I miss the girl. These are highly creative acts. It takes a lot of energy to uh, thread together that kind of life. Life is a creative act. And there are um, roots of causality that one can look back at and understand how uh, how a life might be created that is um, one that seems to be uh, wanting, that seems to be disappointing. It's nonetheless a creative act. It is a highly, highly creative act. So I'm interested in the mechanics of creativity, and I share those mechanics in the book so that if my life or your life is not all that I would like it to be, I can begin to become intimate with how is it that I am creating this particular situation because it is an act of creativity. It's not what I prefer consciously. But below the threshold of my awareness, I am making creative decisions and creative choices, and they are adding up to this uh, act of creativity. So I'm more interested in showing the mechanics of it. And then some of the tools uh, and practices that are involved in um, choosing and creating outcomes that I prefer, these have to do first and foremost with an understanding of the self. Let me first understand what are the creative tools that I'm using that are blunt. What are the creative tools that I'm using artlessly? Mm-hmm. And how, uh, when I understand that about myself, I can then begin to make uh, different decisions. So we go deeply into um, practices in the book that enable one to uh, have a sense of where they are operating from and how they are holding their tools. There are many tools that we hold that we are not even aware of as being the um, the the brush and the, the, the chisel of creativity. Emotions, for example, are emotions. Emotions are to creative people what chisels are to sculptors. Mm-hmm. So when we, when we um, discover that and when we learn practices to become uh, close and intimate with our emotional lives, then we can find what is at the bottom of our emotions what's at the bottom of our emotions is uh, creative insight and creative energy that can be used in any area. But very often when one hears that, there's a little pushback. There's a pushback that says, oh, uh, emotions are scary. Right. They or, don't emotions, get in touch or emotions are weak. So um, if one understands that 
uh, your create a major tool of your creativity is your rapport with your emotional life, and you hold it as being scary or weak, then um, you're painting uh, your picture with two colors. Correct. Correct. Your ability to create, whether it's a work of art or whether it's your life is a work of art, is severely damaged. You're firing on very few cylinders because the wellspring of all creativity lies in the under the emotions, and it is it exists in the body. That's another piece. <laughs> Most people think that you're set about a creative task, and they start to think it out. But thinking, the doing part, is not the beginning of the creative process. The creative mm -hmm. process is received as inspiration. There, in the middle of the word inspiration, is spirit. It's it's received as in spirit. It is a gift. By our, by myself, I can do nothing, as the saying goes. So, uh, in a creative inspiration is always received as a gift, as a gift from the more of ourselves or the more that is beyond ourselves, but it is always, always a gift. And that gift is delivered not to the head. It's delivered via the limbic brain. It's delivered into the body. Uh, it's delivered through the feeling states, through the emotional states. Well, it's interesting. We have... It's interesting you'd say that because I've been signing my emails off for as long as I could remember within spirit. And I'd have people comment to me, why do you sign your, you know, the bottom of your email in spirit, Greg? And um, I always have felt this tremendous connection uh, to spirit and to God and to have the ability to create an, an endless manifestation and creator. But on the other side of the coin, um, I really resonated with your comment in the book that we are living in a world that is changing at lightning speed and that some days it seems as if we are in the third quarter of an endless game and hopelessly behind. If some of the listeners out there resonate, like I do, with that statement, what are you recommending that we implement to become what you refer to as weapons of mass creation? Well, that's a... I love that question. That's a great question. Uh, to begin with, we have to understand a little bit of um, of how we have chosen to respond to change in the world, how we have chosen to respond creatively to change, both in our personal lives and also in our um, mass consciousness lives. We have a love affair with linear thinking. Mm -hmm. Um we, we uh, have a love affair with logic and reason. Uh, linear thinking, a great mind, we love that. But linear thought sets boundaries to create a possibility. Beyond these boundaries, there is more. Beyond Descartes, who said, I think, therefore I am, there is something more that supersedes logic and reason. So there is a whole domain of consciousness and of awareness beyond... I think, therefore, I am. So the, the horizon of our being is not my cognition, my linear cognition, my cortex, the thinking brain. That, the horizon is not cognition. Uh, the horizon, that horizon is control. It is, it is, it is not the border. It's, it might be the border for control, but, it, but there is more. There is something beyond that. Our emotional brain 
the limbic brain does not operate like the cognitive thinking brain, the cortex. In fact, the neural systems for the limbic brain and the neural systems for our thinking brain are not even connected. They, have, they don't have the same language. They don't speak the same language. The, the cortex thinks in logic and reason, in, um, in linear structure, and the limbic brain has no language whatsoever. It's entirely visceral, entirely connective, entirely holistic, entirely um, body sensations, entirely playful and communing, and there is no logic there whatsoever. So these two brains have no ability whatsoever to connect, and yet it is the limbic brain that sets the mood and the tone and the context for the thinking brain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It holds the space for the cognitive brain to, to, to function in its doing, strategizing, reasoning, and producing. So it is very important before we um, can meet the challenges of a world that is becoming new, that we realize that, um, you know, more, what is Moore's law that computing power alone doubles every, is it every 16 months or something? I forget. Yeah, it is. Actually, it's, it's sped it, up now. Now it's, I think, around 10 months is what I've heard. All right. So the computing power is a pure logic and reason. Pure logic and reason is doubles every 10 months. The challenges that we face... Uh, as a society, as a world, and in our personal lives are so chaotic that we do not have the um, logical power to meet those needs. They, there are other kinds of intelligences as well, but one of the fail-safe mechanisms of the thinking brain is that it counts all other intelligences, it discounts them all and creates and, and says that they're dubious. Mm -hmm. So our emotional intelligence, dubious. Our mathematical intelligence, dubious, unless it's computational and can serve as a strategy for the thinking brain. Our musical intelligence, our humanities intelligence. So all of these things are discounted in favor of logic and reason. And logic and reason alone are not sufficient to meet the demands of a world that is exponentially throwing challenges at us. We will not be able to meet those by a cause leads to effect a um, straight line linear thinking. Very well said. And yeah, so, it's it's just too complicated of a space to actually um, try and manage it, per se. That is the balancing here between the book on doing and being as I see it. You you actually bring up something called a creativity quotient. Most of the listeners out there are going to have heard of the emotional intelligence quotient or the EQ, as it's said. And in the book, you talk about this. Can you speak with our listeners about our creative quotient and how is that creative quotient understood and developed? Well, um, briefly, we are very used to uh, assessing each other in terms of our IQ. Uh, our IQ, uh, this is, um, uh, this is an, uh, an assessment of of our logic and reason. These are measures of one's logic and reason. But we do have other intelligences as well, in addition to our cognitive abilities. Those include sensing and being and knowing and uh, connecting and communing. I call and, be, uh, and beautifying. 
I call these things the creativity quotient. These are talents that are key to unlocking an entirely different bandwidth of creativity, of creativity itself. And we can recognize creativity quotient CQ in others uh, in ways that don't make a lot of sense to logical and linear thinking. Uh, through intuition, for one, we can uh, sense the warmth of someone, not by their temperature, but by their emotional warmth, their accessibility. You know, we all have an understanding of what love at first sight is, and these are uh, nonlinear uh, modulators and calibrators of reality. We can sense the aliveness um, of some of things or people, meaning not whether or not they have a heartbeat, but it is a calibration of their charisma, their magnetism, the size of their personality, their soulfulness. So there are many, many others of what of what are you could you might term uncommon senses, as opposed to the five senses that calibrate uh, in terms of logic and, and linear thinking. Rocks are hard, water is wet. What do I see? What do I touch? What do I feel? But these are uncommon senses that um, that modulate. Uh, experience other than which than that which can be calibrated by our cognition. They're an entirely different kind of cognition. Mm -hmm. So when we are looking through the lens of these other kinds of cognition, athletic cognition, musical cognition, emotional cognition, empathic cognition, intuitive, visceral, child, adolescent, higher self, uh, non-dual cognitions, and on and on and on and on and on. We have uh, lenses into uh, with which to meet life that are far in excess of the singular lens that has brought us this far, the cognitive lens. Far, far in excess. And in order to um, <clears throat> engage these other senses, we have to restore a relationship with the middle brain, which is largely undeveloped. We start out, um, we come out of the womb, uh, we have this reptilian fight, startle, fight, and flight brain. We have a limbic brain, which is craving emotional attunement. And we have <clears throat> the neocortex, which is not fully developed. Uh, it takes about another 15 months after we are out of the womb for it to develop. And uh, very quickly, the limbic brain is overwhelmed by the intensity of uh, emotion. Sometimes, sometimes we're born into very difficult situations. But even, even Greg, if we're born into the most loving, loving circumstances, to, to parents that love us very much, maybe my mom is holding me and she's on the telephone and she's distracted. And to a little person who is hungry and is craving attention and who who has come from uh, an experience where you think it, you feel it, and you're one with it, suddenly the separation of thought and feeling and you, you're craving attention and you're not getting it, that is a terrifying, terrifying, um, visceral experience to somebody that is processing all reality through their viscera, through their limbic brain alone, and they're not getting limbic attunement. It's so terrifying that they, people, as babies, we flee out of our bodies and we take up residence. We just split off. We take, we go numb. Right. And we take up residence in the head. But we take up the residence in the head before the head is even formed. 
Well, so my... we're starting to evacuate, evacuate. We're starting to lay down neural pathways. Um, and over the 15 months after, uh, after birth, we're starting to, to pave these pathways of escape. And then sometime, at some point, uh, that cortex is developed sufficiently where energy is being transmitted through it. So I call it all thought land. And suddenly, as a child, we make sense of the energetics of the, that we're experiencing there and, our, and the fact that we're no longer in the body. We make sense of it. We have a thought, and the thought usually goes something like, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I did something bad, um, uh, I was found wanting, um, I'm not loved, I'm not loved enough, something's wrong, they're the wrong parents, I don't belong here, this was a mistake. Right. And these, these are our <clears throat> very first, this is our very first uh, cognitive assertion. This is the very first thing that gets laid down. And... Um, we build a life on that, and we carry that basic thing in various iterations. They become like sunglasses that we look through for the rest of our life, scanning and looking for anything that remotely, remotely triggers that basic, basic core understanding. We get, uh, we get work. Well, and so to overcome this, we want to uh, understand it and then begin to provide for ourselves the emotional attunement that as a very young person we didn't receive. We can do that. We have the capacity to do it. We have the capacity to do it very, very, very quickly and to restore um, enough safety and attunement very, very quickly so that whole new capacities of possibility and creativity open up to us. Well, it becomes our story and we begin to believe the story and then we live the story. A lot of times people never break free of those stories in this incarnation, but they have opportunities to break free from those um, stories and patterns, those mass patterns that we create that uh, really do, um, as you said, doesn't matter if it's the pattern in the neural pathways or it's the patterns we create in our emotions and our emotional state of life. Um, sometimes they get pretty hardwired. So you know, you state that if we want to create something and we're not doing it, it's most likely a misunderstanding of the energies of creation, which you call the masculine and feminine energies that give rise to all doing and being. What do you or what do you recommend to come in alignment with these two distinct energies? I mean, you'll find certain individuals that have a great balance between their masculine and feminine. And then you got those guys that are just all masculine uh, and the women that are all feminine. What do you think that it's going to take to help us balance those and uh, obviously the to get into this creative state? Great question. Well, first of all, uh, in my own experience, um, the balancing of masculine energies or and with feminine energies or the preponderance of, of one of those energies over another is not a gender-related issue. Um, it is, uh, uh, there, are, there are as many women who are as imbalanced in, their, in the relationship of their masculine and feminine energies as there are men and vice versa. So this is not a gender issue. And when we're talking, when I'm talking about masculine energies, or feminine energies, I'm not talking about gender either. I'm not talking about um, um, a person's sex. I'm talking about 
uh, energies that um, some people are familiar with it as as um, as chi, uh, as life force, and some of these energies uh, are more attuned to will and action, the doing energies, the masculine integrated masculine energies, and and some of these energies have a resonant quality of connection and uh, and feeling uh, and uh, connectivity. And those are the feminine energies. If they are not in balance, uh, they are almost always out of balance for the same reason. And this reason might surprise you, uh, and maybe not, but it'll certainly surprise many of our listeners. The reason is generally chauvinism. And when I refer to chauvinism here, I'm not just talking about um, violence, emotional, mental, or physical to women, um, nor am I talking about the fact that chauvinism castrates men. Uh, it really robs them of, what it, of their real masculinity. I am, as horrendous as that is, uh, I am talking about the root causes, uh, the underlying causes, of chauvinism, and those have to do with the elevation of will and action over imagining, connecting, um, and being and feeling. The elevation that happens, as we just described, it happens very quickly. It happens very young, uh, and it happens for very, very good reasons. We don't have the equipment to handle the intensity of being. Mm-hmm. And at that stage, it is easier to to numb out and to go to vacate the body, which is the home of being. The home of emotions is also the body. The home of creativity, by the way, is the body. Right. So we we vacate, and uh, and we take up resonance in a in a brain that is uh, in its formative state, and eventually it forms around it coalesces around our energetics. And uh, that is our cortex. So the elevation of will and action, do, 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 action steps over being happens because we don't have any intimacy. We have no familiarity. We have no experience. We haven't logged any time in being states, so we don't even know what it is. It's like uh, a fish in water doesn't know. That's probably not the best example. Imagine an amphibian in water. Let's say you had an amphibian that was designed to live both in water and on Earth, but it had never had a very much of an Earth experience. It just spends most of its life in the water. That's kind of what we are. So we don't know what we're missing, and we come to overly rely on um, the doing, 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 doing. And what's more is we begin to judge the being as being weak, um, as being vulnerable, as being dangerous, because the doing brain always seeks to reassert itself by finding ways to validate itself. And so we um, soon begin to, to feel that the being brain, the limbic states, are less valuable, not as important. They are subordinate. And uh, when that happens, since all creativity begins with the possibility, even possibility begins with the possibility of possibility, that is a feminine energy. The possibility of anything is a feminine energy. The possibility of doing 
is a feminine energy. So it can very accurately, rightly be said that although doing and being are equal, they are completely equal, and yet in, in ways that um, confound our love affair with logic and reason. The being state came first. The feminine energy came first. They're totally equal, and yet the feminine energy makes the space for the masculine energy to inhabit. It is the womb that holds the boundary for, for the doing and for the building and for the willing. And so if we have a, um, an, uh, an animus, if we have a, any kind of a, um, any kind of a judgment, if we have any kind of a feeling of, of diminution of that feminine energy, then we are having judgments, unconscious judgments about the source of all creativity, of creativity itself. And that is a serious handicap. If you're going to, if you're going to have a better than from, then uh, if you're going to have a better than that you're holding over the source of creativity itself, it's going to make it very difficult to be creative. Well, and you provide in the book an opportunity for people to move through, um, let's just call them blockages for now, but to move through, you help them identify, you help them work with them, you give them exercises. Um, this book is extremely well written and written for anybody because as Barnett was basically saying, everything is creativity. Um, it's coming from the life force. It's coming from your body to get in touch with that wellspring of creativity. Um, you really do need to work through some of the things that are blocking it, such as the, he has been talking about the emotions. Barnett, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth and exploring with us today just some of the things that we can implement and practice to actually become more of our being side, which you've just articulated, sometimes gets turned off. It's almost like the light switch gets turned off because we're programmed that way um, not to get in touch with that. And you've also articulated why it's important uh, to really foster this creative side um, because what it brings in our life, more joy, more passion, more love, all of the things that most people are looking for. More possibility, more success. Yeah, everything, yeah, everything. Yeah. And so it's yeah. all about this fundamental uh, balancing act. The book of the book is called The Book of Doing and Being. We've been on with Barnett Bain. Uh, you will have a link to Amazon to get the book. Um, we will also do some giveaways of Barnett's book, just so for my listeners, you know that. Um, Barnett, thanks for being on. I appreciate it. Thanks for spending the time with my listeners um, and letting them know about the book of doing and being. It was a pleasure, Greg. Thank you. Anytime. <laughs>